0: You're listening to the Gov Future podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, we speak with Aaron Judy, Chief of Innovation and AI at Maricopa County Clerk of the Superior Court. Aaron shares the amazing work his group has been doing with AI automation, analytics, and advanced technology. Aaron provides insights into how small, resource-constrained local government agencies can get maximum value from emerging technologies, stay ahead of innovation, and collaborate with other government agencies to accelerate innovation. Stay tuned.
1: Hello and welcome to the Go Future podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer.
0: And thanks again for many of you who have been providing feedback. We're now like 30-something episodes into future, And part of the reason why this is so exciting is because we're talking to so many innovators across federal, state, local, international governments everybody's working on some interesting things. Of course, it's AI all day everywhere, it seems like. But there's also so much other innovation happening on automation and analytics and big data and cloud and IT modernization and cyber and zero trust, even a little quantum. We've had a few discussions about that. And I think part of that, what's cool is that it's neat to see the folks that we work with, that we in many cases have to work with because they're part of our local government, and it's not like you know, it's one thing for us to choose who we buy products from. It's you. I don't have the same choice when it comes necessarily to your local government, state, or federal government. And it's kind of nice to know that uh, everybody's responding to these changes. It feels like everything is just accelerating faster and faster. The pace of innovation, keeping up is uh, definitely a challenge, and both an opportunity and and obviously challenges for folks that have to. For those of you who are listening to our GovFuture podcast for the first time, uh, we really want to encourage you to to listen and join in to our community. This is part of what we do with our community of government innovators, folks who are working on bringing innovation to the government and really transforming what's happening in the public sector. So stay tuned and stay subscribed.
1: Exactly. And if you're not familiar with our GovFuture community, GovFuture is the fastest growing community of government innovators. You can learn more by going to govfuture.com, and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. But we really are committed to bringing together everybody in the public sector ecosystem at all levels of government, because there's so much to be learned when we have a platform to share what everyone's working on. So I'm so excited to have with us today, Aaron Judy, who is the Chief of Innovation at and AI at Maricopa County Clerk of the Superior Court. Welcome, Aaron, and thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you, folks. Thanks for having me.
1: We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role now.
2: Okay, sure. Uh, My background, um, I did not go to Harvard, um, but my background is in computer information systems, uh, GIS management, computer-aided drafting. I was a DBA in a past life. I've been a GIS nerd. Um, I've worn a lot of various hats. Uh, My current role now is the best job in the entire world. I get to play with new and new to us technologies for their fit and applicability to what we do at the clerk's office. And what that is, is customer service. Uh, We are the fiduciary and document manager for the superior court itself.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, maybe for our listeners who who may not necessarily be familiar with sort of the scope of the sorts of technologies you work with and the sorts of things that you do, and maybe even the the, the scope of all of your uh, challenges, and maybe for folks who don't know where Maricopa County is, maybe sure. you can uh, highlight to our, our global listeners uh, about that.
2: Yeah, uh, Maricopa County is the fourth largest county in the U.S. It is larger than 17 states It is a larger, greater than 9,000 square miles. Um, We are the greatest population share of Arizona. Uh, It's smack dab in the middle of the desert. It's very, very hot. Um, We are one of 55 different agencies at the county itself. We are all funded differently. Uh, We in my office worked for an elected office. That means we're not generally funded. That means we can have more leeway in what we do with technology. We have our own uh, tech stack, our own data centers. We can work autonomously. Um, Other county agencies, if they aren't unelected or funded in a different way, they typically get their technology from the Office of Enterprise Technology as a central uh, hub. We obtain the wire, phones, uh, email, centralized services from them as well. So.
0: Well, that's great. And, you know, I think there's a lot of things that people may or may not be aware of that, that are the functions of the clerk of the of the court and uh, the, the kind of clerk of the superior court in, in particular. And maybe you could talk a little about that and then how that relates to some of the things that we've been sort of pulling the thread at here, advanced mm-hmm. analytics and automation and AI and kind of how that's all fitting together.
2: Absolutely. We are, as I said, we're the fiduciary, so we handle monies coming into the courts. Um, these are customers. These are unique customers. They um, may not, and we hope that they're not return customers because often they're court ordered, right? So uh, retaining customer customer information and personalization may not be applicable to what we do. I wish we hope not. They may be one-off customers that are coming to get – we have secondary services that we're not statutorily obligated, but we provide as a service, such as passport and marriage license. Um, those users may be once in their life, maybe once every five years, you know. So, typically, these are one-off customer experiences. We try to meet them with a customer experiences that is equivocal to what they're expecting now. Um, you know, Amazon's voice assistant, my house is full of them, so if I say your name, my whole house will talk. But uh, Amazon's voice assistant set the bar for us, right? Everyone started being held to that standard of interaction, that standard of customer service, and that's really what we strive for. The other is document management, and that is our primary function. We handle documents, courts, documents, case files, um, anything paper related to a case. As you can imagine, and that is, I think, 65 million uh, documents in our repository uh, right now. Um, those were previously barcoded by humans and sorted and stacked and scanned in and entered into a system. And we're using computer vision now, for example, to to chop away at a lot of that human uh, labor. Um, I can talk about those phases right now, or I can save them for later. Sure,
1: go ahead. Yeah, go ahead
0: and talk
2: about that. Um, That's great. So phase one of computer vision, we anticipate about a 40% uh, reduction in um, FTE hours. Um, And that was through uh, removal of barcode and sorting documents. And now this is computer vision that is doing uh, what type of document is this? You know, a court document is different than a piece of paper. Normally a, a letter reads left to right, right? You know, you have... Your subject, noun, you know, your noun verbs go in a certain order. On well, a legal document, that is all jumbled up. You know, the garnishy and the name and something else, all these parties are mixed up in different places. So we have sort of a niche AI that is trained for legal documents. For what type of document is this? Feature extraction. John Doe. They are the um, petitioner, you know. Who are all of the financial parties in this long list? Uh, what is the case number? Is this document attached as a, an example to another existing case file? You know, because you can take another paper that you filed and attach it to another filing and file that. So we need AI to understand where this piece of paper ends and its attachments begin. Um, that's probably our. That's a full 73% savings in FTE hours that we anticipate after phase two. That is connecting uh, Intex RPA to drive. We have an internal website that the court uses, the case management system. This doesn't have an API, so typically a human has to drive this web page, and that was pulling up this document and you know stare and compare swivel chair automation, and we've replaced that now with. You know, a bot gathering up these features that were extracted, entering them in the appropriate places, attaching what it needs to and submitting the, submitting the case. We're using conversational AI to, uh, to help customer service, right? So we have internal customers. We look at employee experience, EX, and we look at customer experience. Um, we actually address the customer before the employee. Typically, um, typically when you adopt a new AI technology, it's the, your, your employees are the guinea pig. We'll, t- we'll try it there. If Mikey likes it, then we'll push it out the door to the public. We didn't do that. We started with the public. Often my my team attempts the hardest problem, not the easiest. We don't get the lowest hanging fruit. We see if we can shake the whole tree the first time. Because anything else sends downhill, right? Right. So, yeah, you know. So our customer service uh, is a multi-channel uh, conversational AI. With capabilities on uh, our web chat, SMS, short and long code, uh, we're expanding to voice. We field between 29 and 33 thousand calls a month, and we are just about to let our AI answer the phone. Uh, wow! It answers exciting Facebook. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: I said exciting times.
2: Yes, yes. Um, I think lastly, we're all we're using conversational AI to do uh, system reliability engineering. Are You familiar with that? Um, yeah. this, is, this is a concept of which uh, typically a human that responds to alerts, tries to remediate um, operational issues, you know, right away to keep things up and running, may generate code to fix and patch small things. We have uh, replaced uh, our tier one support with what we call tier zero. Um, our alerts all get funneled into a central AI, New Relic AI. Love New Relic. Um, it correlates all of those alerts and gives me one problem statement. Here's what's going on right now. Well, it gives our tier one AI that alert. It tries to execute predetermined remediation. So it doesn't just get to willy-nilly try to fix the problem itself and break other things. We have predetermined remediations. Try to log into the server, try to restart the service. If you can't do these things, ping it. Uh, Trace route it, see what you can do to provide me that diagnostic information. It then appends that information to the uh, active alert and sends it on to the on-call human. So now the on-call human doesn't have to go try all the basics. It already knows the outcomes of you know like basic networking things, like is the server even responding? I don't have to go do that. It can pick up only when it needs to. We're using chat ops to try to automate uh, deployments and remediations in that regard maybe there is a higher level remediation that i am i lack the confidence in letting my ai execute but you know the building's on fire and i need to try it so i can execute that from chat oh it it worked i can go back to netflix and chill
1: you know i was fortunate enough to be on a panel with you many years ago and i loved the discussion back then so i still love it and Partially why we like to talk to all different levels of government is to hear all of the cool and innovative things. What you guys are doing is so forward-thinking and forward-leaning, and you're ahead of many other, even federal government agencies. So it's always so interesting to have these conversations. A lot of times, you know, state, local governments are strapped from budgets, from resources, but you guys really are powering forward. And I love to hear all of the cool, innovative things that you're doing, that you're thinking about, and that you're able to do as well, right? You know, <laughs> I remember last time, too, you said... We don't like we always say, think big, start small and iterate often. And you're like, think big and go big.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, uh, the IRS folks, they're, they're just they're just trying to digitize stuff that's still on paper. <laughs> it's just so remarkable. And think about the resources the IRS has. It's just remarkable yeah. that you're able to do this at at the at the county level. Yeah, uh, we were fortunate. Um,
2: so we had tech. So part of what I do is a digital scout. My role is finding all of the paths. I'm not a no man. If you come ask me if something can be done, we are masters of the art of the possible. I'll give you all of the paths to get there. We already kind of had some selections made, some technologies and some partners uh, in the pipe. And then when COVID happened, there was CARES Act funding, and we were able to leverage that to get started. And since then, we've used you know, our own
1: capital. So I don't think we can have a discussion around AI without talking about large language models and generative AI. So how are you approaching these technologies and using them or thinking about using them?
2: We are using them. We use, uh, we do use uh, ChatGPT. We do not use it any place that sits between the customer and justice. Let me, let me uh, give you a design paradigm. Our conversational AI uses Translate so that you can speak in 54 different languages to it, but it will only speak back to you in English or Spanish. And those responses have been vetted and already predetermined by a human that speaks that language. And if you speak one of the other 54 languages that are not English or Spanish, we provide you back English as a standard answer, and you can use a translation that you trust. Because we don't want to interject biased and interfere with someone's access to justice. So let me reel that back in with something like ChatGPT. We do not put that in front of the customer because we cannot let hallucinations or just oopses interfere with someone's freedom, uh, their children, their livelihood. Um, You know, these are serious things. We are finding success with these technologies. Um, mid-level uh, managers, maybe this is your first time as a leader, and you've been asked to generate a value proposition. I don't know how to do that. Give me a template for a value proposition. Theres no personally identifiable information? Give me a business continuity plan. Uh, we need one of those. We need to get started with something like that. These can be springboards into building things that and, and saving you tremendous time. You know what a human would, you know, go out and research and get all these examples from other agencies, now they're able to quickly generate in minutes. You know, it reduces the time to policy, really, in a way, as long as humans are in the middle and vetting out what this is giving them. We generate code from ChatGPT. Like I said, we don't put it in front of the customer. But we will, in a paired programming session, Maybe rewrite a function for some of our internal automations. Uh, that worked. Or I have an error message. Here's my error message. Okay, try this. Okay, I have a new error message. Okay, try this. And it shortens my time of having to Google and look at Stack Trace or you know what have you. We also use Copilot. So in a way, we create a quorum of AI. I use Co or I use uh, Chat GPT maybe to generate prototypes. And I'll bring them into co-pilot where I can refine them. At no time is personally identifiable information or, or, you know, API keys provided to these services. That's that's not something that we're interested in doing. I get asked a lot: Do you, you know, do you all have policies and procedures around this? And I often laugh because I'm like, well, no. I mean, what? I this is this is Aaron Judy's uh, feelings, not necessarily out of the establishment. Um, I have an internet usage policy, right? I have a policy for how you are to behave when speaking or engaging with the public. I have a policy on your expectations on the level of work and output. I don't have a policy on Grammarly. I don't have a policy on spell check. Why do I have to have a policy on chat GPT? With that caveat, we have created a prototype policy for the inclusion in the future if we were to include generative code in any production applications we are beginning to formulate a policy on what that vetting and accountability and responsibility looks like
0: fantastic you know um it's interesting because we have had these conversations on the podcast with the other government agencies who have a much more well uh res- restrained uh philosophy on it and the reason they they have they're, they're reasons i mean for example scott bellavo at the us patent trademark office is concerned that uh, patent examiners might use, might either ask questions of the LLMs or use the LLMs in the responses and, of course, provide things because, you know, with the patents, like every word is the nuance and yes. it does matter there. And we've even talked at the state level, uh, the chief data officer of Maryland at Pat McLaughlin, who spoke at one of our in-person events at uh, Gut Future Forum. And he's like, well, right now we're holding on the use of LLMs for anything that's citizen facing. So it may be related to what you're yeah. talking about because he's like, well, we don't want an LM saying yes we have six weeks of uh paid family leave or something like that where's like where did that come from I was like I don't know the chatbot said it. and then all of a sudden you're like hey your your bots telling us about services that you may or may not actually have or or things like you know yes this office is open on this day or something like that because because an, an LM is always happy to give you an answer uh whether or not it's the correct one but it sounds sounds like you've, you've got it uh, purposely put in places where it's going to provide some some use and some guardrails, yes, uh, to to prevent some collab- some things from happening. Yeah.
2: Now here, um, you know, I said we curate what our conversational AI says back to the public. We will take that blurb of text and say, "Can you rewrite this to be at a fourth or fifth grade reading level?" So that it's more palatable for all, all recipients and, you know what I mean? And, and reformulate because I'm a very techno battle battling kind of guy. So.
0: Yeah, that's good. I can use that too. Like a little, uh, uh, nerd to norm, uh, translator. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I just coined a phrase there. But uh we actually just were talking a little bit about uh guardrails here and some of the things. So in it besides just the technology uh you know issues, because cutting edge stuff is cutting edge, you know. I see some knives in the background there, you know, cutting edge cuts yourself sometimes yeah, as yeah. working with it. But like let's talk more just in terms of general challenges. Like, you know, what do you what you know as you're working to put some of these very forward you know, leaning things, some things that are really honestly, you know, a couple of versions away from you, if not like one or two versions. So how do how do you go about, like, what do you see the challenges of, of putting this into place? You know, it, people, process, technology, data, whatever. And, and like, how, how are you sort of dealing with those challenges?
2: Um, we're held to multiple standards. I, I alluded to this before. Government is supposed to be noble and have noble aspirations, right? But at the same time, more and more, uh, people are holding us to that exceptional, refined customer experience expectation. And that's hard to do, you know? When you take that, you think, oh, I've got this great platform, I can dump all my data in there. Well, you're going to have to do some refinement, some smoothing over. It's not going to be just a slam dunk. Um, Finding subject matter experts that can bridge that gap. And what we've done there is finding volunteers. Who is a subject matter expert in this topic, but maybe technically inclined or adventurous and wants to volunteer to be on this new team? I love doing that. I love creating roles in government that were never there before. That's what gets me excited about what I do. Um, We can be adventurous in only small pockets, right? Um, We can't risk, like I was saying, freedom, children, money, livelihoods, things like that. When it's someone's reward points, okay, you know, we can fix that by next Thursday when, you know, you can still make this sale. If you have court today, that's important, right? You know, um, we can't risk bias or misinformation injected into whatever that message is back to you. That impedes your access to justice. And, you know, for really the the self, you know, litigant, you know, if you're representing yourself, that's significant. You're navigating such a scary environment to begin with. Um, as far as analytics, a lot of the tools require a lot of storage. Um, a lot of the tools require you to gather up things from a, from old systems that don't have APIs. So now you're having to do things like ETLs and data pipelines and have different core competencies that maybe you didn't have before in order just to take advantage of things. Some of them, you may want to use generative technologies that, you know, maybe I can't give you all 4 million of my records through one API call. And I have to somehow on my app end, smooth that down to a smaller payload that I hand off to your API before you can even give me some data back. So there's a whole bunch of, there's technical debt. There is domains of expertise and knowledge that you're not expecting. A, a, a solution has to survive its creator, and often that doesn't happen. Too often, you have one exceptional, the hero model, where you have one employee that that can do everything, right? And then they leave. Whatever your technology solution is, it has to survive its creator. It has to be transitioned to an operational team. I probably went off the rails there, but.
1: No, but I think that's a really important comment because you don't want, you know, and we also say, you know, make sure that you're documenting this, make sure that other people are understanding how this works, because you're right. If for whatever reason, that one employee no longer is there, um, you're screwed. <laughs> that's not a good place to be in. Yep. So, Yeah, for lack of a better term. And I'm sure people here have felt that pain before when an employee leaves and you're like, what are we going to do? Like, we have two weeks to figure this out.
2: Or it just sinks. And that's the worst thing, because, you know, none of these things, you know, ship doesn't sail by one person alone. All of these other crew members were vested and interested and wanted to see this go. And then that one key person left and then the whole thing fell apart. That's just defeated. That that kills your innovative culture.
1: Agree. And yeah, it can be really tragic. And sometimes you can't recover from that because you spend a lot of, you know, we always say money, time, resources on these projects. You're getting it out there, you're trying to do things. And then it, before you're able to actually get, you know, the fruits of that labor, it's not even in production. And you're like, wow, that was, that was a lot of months that we just wasted on this. So, unfortunately. So, Now, we always like to talk to others, right? And we think that there's so much to learn from others from the successes and failures. I mean, we just talked about, you know, a failure and what happens when somebody leaves and things aren't documented. So how are you staying up to date with emerging technology and innovation? And maybe how, if at all, are you talking with other county, state, and federal governments and different agencies and learning from them and collaborating with them?
2: Uh, You know, regrettably, I don't think all, All agencies do this. Um, I think a lot rely on trusted vendors to bring them new technologies as like a value add. Um, We, at a certain point, realized we were far enough ahead in our AI journey. I was spending a lot of time with other agencies at the county in a collaborative sense, hands on keyboard, trying to help them build chat or answer problems, you know. I went to my leadership and said, can we create this user group? I have an idea. I want to create an AI user group. And that's where something we call the Bot Builders Guild was born. Uh this is uh it started out as the Maricopa County Bot Builders Guild and was open to all, you know, agency, you know, employees. If you had an address, come on over. These are CIOs, they're help desk technicians, they are developers, they are just interested, you know, uh, problem solvers. Maybe they are um, process improvement individuals that aren't technologists, for example. And that group has branched out to now include um, Orange County Courts, uh, the Texas Attorney General's Office, New Jersey Courts, uh, Clark County is going to join us, um, City of Phoenix, and a lot of those folks are invited. They sell them Commonwealth, SRP, the government wing of the electric and power company come. Uh, any of your friends, you tell them that Aaron sent you. Send me yeah. email. They're all <laughs> welcome. We meet regularly. Uh, we started out showing, here's what we're doing. And at the scale that, of which projects move, I don't have something new to show every month. Maybe once a quarter, but not every month that keeps you know individuals interested. So we branched out to other topics. We created... We had a whole session on Tiny ML and how to deploy <laughs> models to microcontrollers. We had Raspberry Pis. We had multiple cameras set up. We did keyword spotting and visual keyword spotting and all kinds of stuff. And eventually, I had another idea. I get hammered every day by vendors that want to show me conversational AI. Well, I've already solved that problem. But rather than turn them away... There's so many other agencies that may use their technology. So I went to the group, and we have since opened up now where if a vendor wants to present to the group, you can. You cannot harvest the emails. You can't put them in the sales force. You can't direct reply and direct market to any of the recipients. You give me a blurb, I'll send it out to the group. They can attend if they want, if they don't. You know, make that blurb count. The sessions are recorded; they're shared on our internal SharePoint. We share it with other government agencies. That's why we all have to be .gov. Maybe you join us. You know, we've been doing this for a couple of years now, so maybe you join us now. But you want, you're interested in that microcontroller session? You can go watch it on our SharePoint and get all of our documentation, all of our vendor-provided materials. So it's it's a way to learn about that art of the possible. Too many times agencies are like we're a microsoft shop. I don't mean to beat up on microsoft, but we're often all governments, so we're probably a microsoft shop. Typically folks will go, well what does microsoft do? Well, they don't do it, we can't do it.
1: All right.
2: Well, that's not entirely accurate. There are other agencies and that we try to we try to instill agility. Think of composable architectures. Look for technologies that I can quickly stack on top of each other. Or switch that Lego out if I need to. I personally um in my own sphere of uh, influence, I follow uh MIT technology review, code projects, new Atlas, the futurist uh, AI tool report, um, those are how I stay current.
0: yeah, thank well. Obviously, we love what you're doing with the the bot guild, which obviously has become more than just the bot guild. It sounds sounds like you're bringing a lot of new and innovative technology. We love that at Gov Future. It's like, oh, my goodness. I didn't even realize there was this hot community going on. So uh, if you're open to it, we'll provide a link to it. We'll tell people that. Yes, uh, when we get done, I'll send you the link where anybody can find it. And, you know, if uh, feds are invited, I have to tell you, yeah. it's like, you know, we've been like... Yeah. GSA folks have got a ton of bots. We just just got next month we at the Gut Future Forum in September, we got the Department of Interior's bot brigade. They're actually doing something called the bot brigade. Uh, I mean, this is everywhere. I mean, of course, that's very specific to RPA. But like, let me tell a bit. So obviously, we'll have to connect offline here. Maybe there's some ways we can sort of share what you're doing to our community, share what our community is doing to your community. You know, uh, this is this is fantastic. I think this is exactly what we need. I mean, uh, one, because the pace of change is just happening so fast. It's very hard for people to keep up. And I'm with you. I mean, we all love the vendors. I mean, nobody wants to invent the wheel. So that that's why vendors exist. I mean, they're there because they they can productize things and they have support and they can you know, amortize their costs on all their customers and do things like that. That there's a purpose. But at the same time, uh, you know, <laughs> we can't be leaning on on a single vendor for all of our innovation when innovations literally coming at us from every single corner. So great stuff from startups, great from large companies, open source stuff coming from uh, government agencies that are just putting stuff out there. So, this and is it's so a safe
2: yeah. it's a safe space. There's no expectation. you don't have to have your camera on. You don't have to speak, and you will not get follow up mail or that vendor is never allowed to come back.
0: That's good. That's good. Well, um, well, I, I oh, may definitely we're gonna we're gonna keep this conversation going. So for our listeners, don't be surprised if we're, <laughs> we're gonna be talking there and Judy again. So I guess let me ask you just to sort of so you have a very good approach. I very from our perspective, a very healthy, uh forward-leaning approach to innovation, right? It's like innovation's a tool, it's a technology. Let's try to make the most of it, let's try to implement it, let's put it in aware that hey, things may not work, let's, you know take the risks you know as as they come so you know maybe what approaches or maybe what advice can you give like other local government agencies or state federal ones that you know can like foster this culture of data-driven innovation collaboration uh to accelerate uh it. modernization and I think accelerate is the the good term it's very hard to be operating on the same pace that I think people might have been comfortable with uh even just a few years ago. Um, I would create,
2: so have you ever heard of the book, The Innovator's Dilemma?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm.
2: In there, they talk about how to best um, address divergent technology in your existing business. And they often talk about spinning off another company or, or, you know, a sub agency or something like that. We don't always have that luxury. I can't just form another sub clerk's office. What we've done in our office was create my team. Uh, the innovation team is operationally pure. I don't get called in for all hand, you know, something's on fire. We're trying to diagnose a bug. That's not what we do. We also aren't shadow IT. So anything that I create is intended to be shipped off to another team. We don't keep anything here. There are no lost puppies. With the exception, one minor exception, we don't impose any, if any technology is significantly advanced or strange that would impede an existing traditional team, we will keep it ourselves and operationalize it using DevOps, chat ops, and, you know, easy turn it off and back on procedures, right? And that is, you know, if this is a team of traditional server administrators and I say, here's care and feeding for this AI, that would be, may be overwhelming for them. We will keep that technology in our team. Um. Trade your dashes uh, for you trade your dashes and reports for actionable alerts. There's a couple things here. You know, when you make reports right now, everybody makes reports and they always come out a month later. And you look back and you're like, oh hey, there was this problem here, right? What are you gonna do about it? Nothing. So right away, the old way of doing static reports became dashes. Everybody goes, let's replace that with a dash. It's up to date right now. Okay. A human still has to go look at that and do something cognitive and go, is this a problem? So if a human looks at a number and says, that's a problem, slide everything off the desk and just say, I want to know when this problem happens. Tell me when this problem happens immediately in an actionable way that I can address it. Right. That's going to do other things for you. One, it's going to reduce noise. You know, superfluous ETLs, but it's also going to show you what sh- your KPIs are, really. I care about this because when it makes noise, my phone rings. I don't like when my phone rings. So that will, those KPIs begin to matter when you start looking at data. What do we extract from these systems? What are we going to put into this data warehouse, data swamp, data lake, whatever you're building? You know, somebody's going to have to answer what goes in because it costs money to put it all in there. Don't put junk in there, you know, if you don't have to. I said it before, but look for technologies that you can use in more than one place. Composable tech, composable architecture, right? If you have a brilliant chat technology that lives on your service desk, but you can't put it anywhere else, what good is it? You know, if, if you have to have siloed technologies for each of your channels of communication for employee and customer, I would look at simplifying those into central single technologies that can do all of that. Because then you only train it once. Your domain of AI knowledge stays right there. You're not doing a bunch of training. You're not managing a bunch of training in separate places. And you also get away from that one government problem. Well, your website said this, but when I called, somebody else told me something else. When I talked to your chatbot, it told me a third thing. As long as you provide or power all of your channels by one AI, the message is all the same, always. Look for technologies that you can approach on your own, right? These are things that you or that Skunkworks team that you have that's operationally pure, that they can. You know, pull off the shelf and flip around and test out. If you need an integration partner, it's already too much. If I need to have an older boy hold my hand and lead me through this, it's too much for me or us, right? Look for technology and, and maybe, maybe that's not what you're trying to do is too much. Maybe it's the technology and the way it does it is too much. Look for simpler things. Uh, Occam's razor. There's, there, there may be a simpler way.
1: Yeah, those were all really great points. And hopefully people are definitely listening, go back and rewinding if they need to, to hear all that. This has been such a wonderful podcast. We always love talking to you, hearing what you're doing. And for our interviews, we wrap them up with the same question because everybody gets to bring their own unique perspectives and we hear how this, you know, they approach this question. So what do you see or hope to see as the future of technology and innovation in the government?
2: Uh, probably two things, uh, one dark and one bright, uh, I would like to see, uh, government get involved, use tech to ferret out misinformation, you know, what can you do about it? Not always something, but if you know where it is, you can flag others, you can request search engines, remove things. This makes us all collectively better, you know, um, and it's, and it's, with generative AI creating now what they say is more convincible spam and misinformation than humans, it would be even more paramount to stay on top of where is this misinformation coming up. The bright thing though, um, I love getting on my soapbox about digital humans. Um, I really, really wanna do uh, digital humans. Um, imagine an avatar. Okay, so we keep creating these digital services, right? don't come to my office. I have a website for that. And we have a website where you can pay, a website where you can look up, and a website where you can, I don't know, do whatever else you need to do with the government. But they're not all the same website. They seldom are. Even us. Even, you know, for the cool things we do, we have a website for just about everything. How is the user at home, not in your lobby, having their handheld? To navigate this how do they know there's this other site that accepts payments and i'm supposed to go there and make a payment what if you unified all that into a single digital lobby experience your phone has a scanner on it that uh is is pretty amazing now you know It, it automatically rectifies and does ocr and all kinds of magic what if i could submit documents without leaving my house you don't bring me paper anymore I don't have to recycle. I don't have to store. I don't have to exchange potential biologic material between a customer and employee. What if all that was powered by an avatar that looked human, very human, exceptionally human, and could follow you as we're talking to it? As we talk to each other and we're standing at the, the uh, water cooler, we have a natural sway to, our, to ourselves, Right. This avatar is able to follow you in space. It's connected to you. It sees what you're doing. When you smile, they become jovial. When you say, I need a copy of a death certificate, they understand that that is a solemn human event and they become more reserved and respectful. You can say, I have this document, right? And if our intelligent capture, if our computer vision services are web enabled, I can do amazing things like the IRS where... Here's or, or, or like HR and r Block or Ta- TurboTax or whatever, where you give them your W-2 and it pulls all the info out and it says, is this you? And you're like, yeah, that is me. Wow. Imagine if all that was unified. Now, imagine if that digital human was able to support sign language, at least ASL. I can now reach customers that are hearing impaired, where before I couldn't, You know, uh, you know, at least... Perhaps in, in in a lobby setting, if this technology was a kiosk or was available to those individuals in the lobby, they could just sign to the NLP. Um, what if you had an on-spectrum customer that had a difficulty speaking to one gender or another? I, I've heard of this. I, you know, imagine it if you could select the customer service agent so that you felt more comfortable about engaging with them. So I yeah. could I could go on for a long time.
0: I'm <laughs> um, now I'm like, hmm, this sounds like a science fiction book I might have read, or maybe so you know where this technology came from? It's not Black there Mirror, was,
2: right? <laughs> no, there was a movie, you might have seen it. It was called Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, all of those digital extras in the background were created by a group. And when that movie wrapped, there was two guys. There was a business guy and there was a, a, a research doctor type. And they both had different ideas about where to take the company. And they split off. They're both, I think they're a block apart from each other. One is Soul Machines and one is Unique. U-N-E-E-Q. Mm-hmm. Um, some now are partnered with Microsoft. Some are partnered with Dell. You're starting to see them. If you fly through Dallas-Fort Worth, you can see uh, Soul Machines' uh, avatar there. You can say, I need, you know, where is there a Starbucks? And even though there isn't a Starbucks nearby, she understands that you were looking for a coffee. She slides to the side and says, there's a coffee shop so many feet this way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could say that the, the the technology is certainly there. This is not uh, that far futuristic to do a lot of these things. I think people would just obviously this is a lot of stuff is societal. Like, you know, how do people want to interact with technology? How do we want the government to interact with us? A lot of things like that. Really, more. I a question. Yes. Oh, how nice. much
2: is a smile worth? <laughs> that's what I always get asked. You yeah.
0: know, do you want to put a smile over top of your
2: existing chatbot? What is that worth? Is it worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year? I haven't been able
0: to sell that. Mm. Well, I, I think that's a good question for our listeners. And I think definitely a good question, hopefully, for uh, something for our future podcast. We may slip that into a couple of questions. As mentioned, you know, when we do have that follow up with the IRS. I'll say, how much is mm-hmm. that smile worth? Mm-hmm. So I think it's all in the context of <laughs> the conversation. But that's a fantastic one. You know, on that note, as I said, we could definitely go on for a while and we probably will. So. Uh, I just want to thank you so much. This has been a fantastic, fantastic podcast, and in, in many regards, right. So I want to thank you, Aaron, so much for for your insights, your what you've been able to share, uh, the the stuff about the bot guild. Uh, I mean, like seriously, this. We're going to put as much as we can in the show notes. We'll we'll have some follow up here, but I just wanted to thank you so much for participating and being with us on on the podcast today.
2: Absolutely, thank you both for having me. I appreciate it tremendously.
1: Yeah, thank you. And listeners, we have some great resources if you're looking to get additional insight and details on the range of technology that we discussed today and other topics as well. You can go to govfuture.com slash resources, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well, to check out all of those resources, which are tailored just for you, our GovFuture listeners. Also, if you haven't already, become a GovFuture member to take advantage of all that our community has to offer, including access to a diverse network of government innovators, opportunities to collaborate with different government agencies at all levels of government, exclusive access to events and resources, and a platform in shaping the voice and helping to shape the future of government innovation. So you can go to govfuture.com slash join to learn more and to sign up. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do make sure to rate and reach out as well. We always love to hear from our listeners. So you can rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Like this episode and want to hear more? With hundreds of episodes and over 3 million downloads, check out more AI Today podcasts at aitoday.live. Make sure to subscribe to AI Today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, or your favorite podcast platform. Want to dive deeper and get resources to drive your AI efforts further? We've put together a carefully curated collection of resources and tools, handcrafted for you, our listeners, to expand your knowledge, dive deeper into the world of AI, and provide you with the essential resources you need. Check it out at aitoday.live/list.